Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello and welcome to the Progressive Britain podcast, the podcast with the unpopular opinion that progressive politics still has a lot to offer the modern world. This week, once again, we're talking about the nightmare that never ends. You guessed it, it's Brexit. With the Tory Brexiteers holding Theresa May to ransom over the Irish backstop, I went to speak to Jonathan Powell, former Chief of Staff to Tony Blair, and one of the architects of the Good Friday Agreement about the importance of the backstop for the maintenance of peace in Ireland, and what he thinks is going to happen next. So, have a listen to hear about the mythology of the Irish historical context, the importance of identity to the Good Friday Agreement, and whether anyone who's still in favour of Max Vac has actually read any of the relevant reports. I promise you, this is one you want sent to friends and frenemies alike. So, hi, Jonathan, how are you today? I'm good. It's February, but I'm still good. Good. Well, it felt like that January was the longest January on record, didn't it? So we're here to talk about something that you're obviously a world expert on, uh, and that is Ireland, the Good Friday Agreement and the Irish backstop. Very quick question, because I'm sure, although our listeners are very well informed, some MPs aren't that well informed. So perhaps uh, you could start by telling us what the Irish backstop is. Yeah, it's a funny phrase to use to describe uh, what is essentially a guarantee that we won't have a hard border between Northern Ireland and the Republic. Because if the UK leaves the EU and leaves the single market and leaves the customs union, automatically you'd have a hard border between Ireland, North and South. So there needs to be some way to guarantee that won't happen. And after two and a half years, the only thing they could think of was that Northern Ireland would stay either in the single market and customs union or at least stay in the single market and the rest of the UK would stay in the customs union. So essentially the backstop is a way of making sure that if there's no agreement after the transitional period, there'll be no hard border because Northern Ireland will stay in the single market for goods mm -hmm. and there just will be no need for installations. No one's come up with any other way of doing it. So that's the backstop. That's what the EU has uh, proposed. Um, actually, they proposed a slightly different variant before, but in the request of the DUP, that's been amended to make mm -hmm. it more uh, less onerous, less like a border um, between yeah. Ireland uh, or Northern Ireland and the rest of the UK. So that's what the backstop is. It's a relatively simple concept to understand. Um, but the DUP don't like it because it will have some sort of border because of the single market um, requirements to have inspections mm -hmm. at ports on the English side before things go over to uh, to Northern Ireland. 
And the Brexiteers don't like it because they think they'll be trapped in the customs union forever. So neither side really likes it particularly. Well, well, well the, I mean, the Remainers like it. Yeah, the Remainers like it. The people of Ireland like it. 57% of the people in Northern Ireland like it. The EU likes it. And Theresa May, <laughs> Theresa May signed up for it and campaigned for it. So but the people I, who don't like it are the DUP and the Brexiteers. Yeah, so I was about to say, is I think the one person, key person who doesn't like it is Arlene Foster. What are you going to do about her? <laughs> well, I don't know that Arlene is even necessarily the real problem. I think the real problem is hmm. the Brexiteers. Uh, the Interesting. Brex, the Brexiteers have decided to make this the battle they fight. Not because they particularly care about Northern Ireland. They made it very clear they don't care mm. about Northern Ireland, most of them. When you have things like Boris Johnson suggesting a bo the border in Northern Ireland is the same as the border between uh, Camden and Islington, then you know you're dealing with people who couldn't really care less yeah. about Northern <laughs> Ireland and don't have much of a sense of the, the history of it. So uh, I, I think it's that they actually see this as a, a fertile battleground mm. to make because they can have common cause with the DUP. And yeah. of course, the government needs the DUP to get a majority. So I think that's why they're doing it. And But in the end, if the DUP cave, if the DUP say, okay, we're going to go along with this, yeah. then it'd be very hard for the Brexiteers to resist. Oh, I see. Fantastic. So one of the things that I found out while looking into the Good Friday Agreement was actually what I didn't realise before this was how much membership of the European Union and all the shared identity that the people of Northern Ireland are allowed to share between Britain and Ireland was such a core element of what you eventually agreed um, can you explain a bit more about that? Yeah, of course. I mean, the thing is that people look at this question if it's, as if it's a question of how long it takes a lorry to cross the border in Northern Ireland. That may be an issue in Dover. That's not the issue in Northern Ireland. Mm -hmm. The issue is about identity. And the point about the Good Friday Agreement is that it was an agreement essentially to disagree. We didn't resolve the issue. Uh, Republicans and nationalists, the Catholics mm. in Northern Ireland, still want to be part of a united Ireland. And the unionists want to stay in the United Kingdom. We didn't solve that problem. Mm. We said, though, that they could live in Northern Ireland and you could have whatever identity you wanted. You can live in Northern Ireland, have an Irish passport, fly out of Dublin, do your shopping in the Republic. You don't ever really interact with the British state very much. Mm -hmm. Or you can be a, a, a unionist and you can think that you're British, not Irish at all. Or you can be both, which many people are. Uh, and that's made possible by having an invisible border. If we went back to the border we had during the Troubles mm -hmm. of concrete blocks closing off the small roads, of checkpoints on the big roads, then that identity question is thrown back into relief. It undermines the whole political basis of the Good Friday Agreement. So this is a political issue, not a technical issue about mm -hmm. how long it takes this lorry to go across. Okay, fantastic. And I think that feeds a little bit into what I want to talk about next, which is I'm a bit of a history nerd. So, And actually, I was quite excited when I was told that I'd have you on as guest because not that I shouldn't be in general, but that I actually did feel so long ago now, laugh at me. My A-level history was the history of Ireland. So whenever I see things, I sort of, when I was reading the book and you were explaining context and stuff, I was like, oh, Parnell, I remember him. Um, I really enjoyed the part about you being related to Kitty O'Shea, look it up, great story. Um, Wikipedia has all the information. But clearly there's a really long history and there's a very rich context and actually a rich mythology to the history of Ireland that lots of people who are today alive in the UK, and I think this is the case, there's lots of history things, we could talk about it for hours. Um, but this is particularly problematic, I think, now. Can you maybe go into why you think the mythology is important or whether you think it's important at all? No, of course it's important. I mean, um, the history of, of Britain and Ireland is a, is a very uh, checkered one over a long period of time. 
But during the last century or so, a bit more, the the problem really has been Britain ignoring Ireland, not paying enough attention to it. Um, and that's what's happened again. Now, after we solved the problem of the violence, after mm-hmm. no more bombs in Canary Wharf, etc., we've ceased to pay any attention to them. Prime ministers pay no particular respect to it. Um, there's no one in number 10 working on the subject. As I, you know, I spent a good deal of my time in number 10 crossing the Irish Sea to try and work mm. on this subject. And that leads to problems. If you ignore your your nearby neighbour and if you don't care about their issues, you'll find yourself in, in trouble. So this history uh, has been forgotten and that's a problem. Um, if you think about the violence in Northern Ireland, pretty much every campaign has started around the border. Mm. Uh, in the 50s, was a border campaign at the beginning of the uh, Second World War, when my father was serving in the Air Force in, in Northern Ireland, he was injured by the IRA, who were fighting a border campaign at that time. So the reason it matters about the border is that's where the violence has started each time. And what happens is you have a border, you have customs officials, mm-hmm. you have patrols, and they get attacked by the IRA. And so then you send in the police to protect them. Then the police get attacked, and then you have to send in the army to protect the police. Once you've got the army in there, then you've mm-hmm. got to build helicopter bases, you've got to build... Uh, installations, and it all becomes militarized. And once it's militarized, then that's a further grievance for the nationalist community. And you get not Mm. just Republicans doing it, but nationalists too. And that's the cycle we'll start on again. If we put a hard border in there, the chief constable has warned he now needs 400 extra officers if we're going to go down this route. He hasn't had it approved yet, but he's proposed that. And that's the kind of violence we'll find ourselves. And we know from the IRA or the um, the so-called new IRA bomb Mm. uh, in Derry uh, a few weeks ago that is still there. They killed two prison officers not that long ago. So if we now you shouldn't make your policy just in reaction to the threat of violence, but it's pretty stupid to having just solved the problem, mm. provoke people into another whole cycle of violence entirely unnecessarily. And even from that, I think it's very interesting that certainly my generation, I don't see it, the UK or Ireland as anywhere that could be militarized. The idea of soldiers on our streets, I see a police officer with a gun and I'm surprised because it's not really what you're used to growing up in this country and actually I don't know whether you think that there's something about us not having the memory of the troubles and particularly the well one the Brexiteers but two the leadership of the DUP and the unionists not having the same memory of the violence that Adams and McGuinness had around the time of the peace process. I think you're absolutely right. It's um, If you think about Northern Ireland, um, it was rather extraordinary that we managed to get Ian Paisley, this old firebrand who'd been partly responsible for starting mm. the troubles with the protest that he led then, and Martin McGuinness, who was a self-avowed member of mm. the IRA, who had clearly been involved in operations. The two of them sitting down in government together was a bit of a miracle, given that all the blood that had flowed as a result of what they had done. Now it's rather extraordinary that we don't even have an administration in Northern mm. Ireland or an assembly because the new generation of politicians who didn't themselves participate in the troubles can't seem to make things work between themselves. Now, Arlene Foster, the first minister, actually was affected by the troubles. Her father was shot. Mm. Uh, the, bo- the school bus she was in was, was blown up. So she really? certainly has experience of, of the violence, but she... Um, but she was not a participant in it. And it seems rather strange the new generation can't make these things work, given the sacrifices that their parents made. And one of the problems with Brexit is mm-hmm. we have to remember we're superimposing this on an existing political crisis. Yeah. The institutions broke down nearly two years ago. So there's no government in Northern Ireland. There's no way of, we now have some of the people on the union side saying there has to be democratic legitimacy, has mm. to be consent by the population. But they were participating in pulling down the institutions. So without the institutions, it's really hard for any of this stuff to work. And Brexit, and while Brexit looms over it, it's very hard to see how you could put it back together again. Yeah, no, of course. 
I guess we talked about this a little bit before, but coming back to the question of the border, I promise I won't go into really the weeds of it, no agriculture here, but um, I remember sort of a year and a half ago, all the Brexiteers going on about MaxFac, which was the latest thing. Um, and it seems to have sort of started to make a comeback or the Brexiteers seem to think that technology is is going to solve what seems to be uh, an unsolvable logic problem. Uh, what do you think about that? Well, you're absolutely right. The, um, you know, it's been two and a half years that the civil servants and negotiators have been looking for a different answer. And uh, and John Major and Tony Blair went over during the referendum campaign mm-hmm. and warned of these difficulties and were dismissed mm-hmm. then by Theresa Villiers, who was the Northern Ireland secretary and a Brexiteer, saying it's all fine, technology will solve it. Mm-hmm. Well, the Brexiteers keep on about technology. And one of the particular things they hung their hat on was a report by a former Swedish customs official. Yeah, I don't think they'd actually read that report because I, <laughs> I did go to the lengths of reading it. And he says, A, the technology doesn't exist and we don't know when it will exist. And B, it would require gates at the border. So you'd have to actually build installations. And as soon as you build installations, mm. you're creating targets. And that's what the chief constable is worried about. Because if the stations are taken down, then you mm. have to put people in to defend them. And then you've got human targets for people to attack. Mm. So, so I don't, I mean, I think this is really a complete chimera that you're looking for a technological answer. Actually, Theresa May herself said last year, there is no technology solution to address these issues. It's not been designed or implemented anywhere in the world let alone in such a unique and highly sensitive context as the Northern Ireland border. So even she was admitting there's no technological answer. What she's doing now is just humouring the Brexiteers by saying she'll look at it, but she knows perfectly well there isn't any sort of solution. Technology can expedite a border. If you look at Sweden and Norway, you can make the border easier with technology, but you still have to have a border if you have a different customs policy uh, and a different regulatory policy. Mm. And we can have a border between North and South Ireland, or we can have it between uh, Northern Ireland and the UK, but there's got to be a border somewhere. And obviously the idea of a border undermines that principle of shared identity that we were talking about earlier. Um, I noticed that you mentioned while you were speaking about, and obviously the history of uh, finding peace in Ireland, obviously it was achieved by Blair and achieved by Labour, but it was really started, all the thinking was started under Major. Do you think that the current polarisation that we see now between sort of May as leader of the Conservatives and Corbyn as leader of Labour... Um, will make the situation worse. I, I, I was actually really surprised that they managed to sit opposite each other for about 40 minutes last week. <laughs> yeah, no, it was surprising. They, I can't quite imagine what the conversation was, li- <laughs> was like. But um, no, you're right, because the Good Friday Agreement came out of the work that John Major had done, for which mm-hmm. he doesn't get enough credit before the election. But it did depend on the policy of bipartisanship, which Tony Blair first introduced when he became leader of the opposition. Yeah, uh, He abandoned the old Labour policy on, on Northern Ireland, which was to be a persuader, to be champion for unity, uh, United Ireland. Mm-hmm. And instead he said, look, I'm going to support John Major because he's trying to get to peace. I don't know what the issues are, but the right thing to do is to support peace. And the Tories more or less did the same thing. They couldn't resist making trouble sometimes, but they basically supported our efforts to make peace. Mm. And that bipartisanship was crucial to making it work. Now you have uh, Tory leaders who say they're unionists, which they didn't used to say. It's been for a long time they haven't called themselves unionists. Mm. Now they call themselves unionists again. They depend on the DUP for their support yeah. and staying in power. That means they can't be neutral or fair arbiters between the two sides. We were essentially, with the Irish government, mm-hmm. mediators between the unionists and Republicans and nationalists. Yeah. They can't play that role because they depend on one of the parties for their survival. Okay, fantastic. And sort of leading on from that and something that I thought about, maybe I'll be putting you on the spot a little bit you um mentioned how you thought david trimble and john hume 
who were the leaders of the UUP and the SGLP, um, made huge sacrifices in order to continue speaking to the two opposing sides and to get the settlement that you eventually did. And it seems there that there's quite a lot of self-sacrifice and working for the greater good. Do you think that our politicians are being too selfish? Well, they're certainly being selfish when uh, they don't take into account the situation in Northern Ireland. It'd be quite easy, as I said, to provoke Northern Ireland back, certainly into a, a lasting political crisis and quite possibly violence as well. And if they're pursuing their aims, their dream of a hard Brexit or whatever it might be, if they do that, they have to think about the consequences. You know, I do think that our political class has, has largely failed at the moment. The government has clearly been a failure in the Brexit negotiations. It's failed to address the real policy challenges of the country. Mm -hmm. Frankly, the opposition's failed. It's not showing itself to be uh, a competent uh, government in waiting, and equally not even showing itself to be an opposition because it's not opposing Brexit. So I think we've had a failure of the political class here that is going to have quite a serious impact on what happens in Northern Ireland and has already had a bad impact on our relations with Ireland. Our relations in Ireland have gone backwards about 10 to 15 years mm -hmm. in the course of the Brexit debacle. Um, you know, we'd built up really good relations with Ireland over a period of time. Uh, and now all that's been sacrificed and it'll take quite a lot of rebuilding. Okay, fantastic. And the last question, the million dollar question, obviously we've got another vote hopefully scheduled for Valentine's Day, which is apt. I don't think it will be a love-in. But what do you think is going to happen next with Brexit? Uh, our last guest said bad things. So don't know whether you share his view or not. Well, a whole lot of bad things have already happened and pro <laughs> probably more will. But to be a bit more specific, what I would think will happen is that Theresa May will try and find some solution by going back to Brussels. And I think the EU will offer her all sorts of warm words on um, on the backstop. They can say all sorts of things about it. They can even make those things legally binding. But there are three things they can't do. They can't remove the backstop because mm -hmm. you need to have some guarantee. Yeah. Uh, they can't put a hard time limit on it and say it'll be finished in two years because then it's not a guarantee. It's not an insurance policy. Mm -hmm. uh, and they can't say the UK can walk away from it unilaterally or, again, it's not an insurance policy. It needs to have both sides agreeing on it. So those three things they can't do. Almost anything else they can do to make it palatable. But what else could they do? For, for, what else could they do? They, yeah. There are various other things that they can say. They can say, for example, Martin Selmayr, the uh, chief official in the EU, was saying yesterday they could offer legal guarantees that it would be temporary. Okay. Now, of course they can say it will be temporary. What they can't say is it will end in 2021. Okay. Um, so that, that, you know, with imagination, they could say all sorts of things. <laughs> now, the only so that doesn't really, doesn't really solve the problem for the DUP, but it yeah. may be the DUP is looking for a way of climbing down because this is not all good for them politically at home. No. Back in Northern Ireland, they find themselves very isolated on this issue mm -hmm. and losing some of their natural support. Mm -hmm. And their next elections will be uh, local elections where yeah. they uh, need to tack to the middle because it's proportional representation. Do you agree that they've reached a high watermark in terms of their support with the number of seats they have now? Um, well, they couldn't actually, yeah, they couldn't go higher than that because the demographics are changing and in the direction of the Catholic population. Mm -hmm. uh, what they've managed to do and Sinn Féin have done on the other side is wipe out the moderates. So we've ended up with the two extreme parties for the yeah. parliamentary elections, not for the yeah. local elections in Northern Ireland or the assembly elections. But the next elections, the DUP need to tack to the middle. So they may be looking for a way of getting off this peg. So that's Theresa May's hope, but I think she's going to fail. She'll come back. She won't have uh, got the changes that the Brexiteers and the DUP want. So it'll go down again. I think they will then ask for more time. And then the question is how much more time that we ask for. And I hope when she's tried every other possibility uh, and none of them have worked, she will actually get to a people's vote. Now, at the moment, people are feeling less optimistic about it. But frankly, logically, when you tried everything else, what mm. are you going to do? Uh, just give up on Brexit? 
I think she'll have to go back and ask the people again. All right, there we go. Jonathan Powell for a people's vote. Thank you very much, Jonathan. It's been very interesting listening to you. Have a lovely day. Thank you. And that was a Progressive Britain podcast. Thank you very much to Jonathan Powell for his insight and join us next time for our next round, Top Brexit Beef. In the meantime, as ever, don't forget to subscribe, rate and review. Have a lovely weekend. <laughs>